Good morning. It's my real joy and privilege to speak to you this morning. Uh, happy Mother's Day for all the mums and uh, mother figures in our church uh, this morning. You are dearly loved and appreciated. Great. So uh, maybe I should actually start with, with praying. Why don't we close our eyes and, and pray? Father, we thank you so much. Um, firstly, for all the moms and mother figures um, in our lives and around us, we thank you that they are a gift from you to be treasured and to be loved and to be appreciated. We pray that uh, God today, they would really experience your love and your goodness, that they would know that they are dearly loved and appreciated. And God, um, as Shireen prayed, we love to be in your presence. And we love to be under your word. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that as we get into your word, won't you, in mercy and love, take maybe what is unfamiliar and make it accessible and understandable and attractive. I pray that you would also take what may begin to sound so familiar, that you take it and make it beautifully fresh to us, that it will be life-giving to us this morning as we hear your word. Amen. So we continue in our series titled, Faith That Works When Life Doesn't, as we explore this challenging but very practical wisdom of the book of James that actually calls us to action. Um, last week, we had Kyle so wonderfully remind us of how James calls us to be quick to listen to the Word of God. I think James was well aware that um, some of his readers then, and, and even maybe like us today, we are prey to not only well-meaning ideas about what God is like, but even our own good ideas about what it means to be under the love, care, and reign of God that may not be consistent with God's truth. So this week, we'll see how James double-clicks on this and goes further to describe what it means to be quick to listen. In fact, James says that to listen and true listening leads to obedience. And he gives us this command in verse 22, do not just listen, do. A few weeks ago, I went online and uh, bought a pair of shoes. Maybe this might have happened to some of you who have shopped online. As I clicked on that pair of shoes to add it to my uh, shopping basket, immediately popped up this side menu telling me to, um, if I you know, wanted to 
look good in my shoes, telling me to complete the look. Sort of suggesting that if you really, really want to look good in those shoes, you might as well do consider other products that were in this side menu. So in this side menu, um, to your interest, there was all sorts of products, including a leather key ring and a toiletry bag. Um, the reality is that I was under a strict budget, but even up to now, I still can't work out how a leather key ring would complete the look. Maybe some of you this morning who are more fashion conscious than me, uh, I would need some, some help here. So I ignored these extras. But when James says to us this morning, don't just listen, do, he's not offering us obedience or gospel doing on a side plate as an optional extra that we can get to ignore like what I did to that leather keyring. This is not something to only consider when perhaps it's, it befits the occasion. I understand that this command can raise a whole lot of questions. That even the sound of the word obedience for some of us does not give us a warm feeling inside. You might be here this morning, perhaps new to Christianity or even visiting us for the very first time and wondering, what is this all about? My life is already overloaded with things to do. This might even be also challenging for some of us who are not necessarily new to faith. How does grace and faith gel with obedience and doing? Where does obedience and gospel doing fit into the life of a believer. If we can be frank with ourselves, we generally do not like to be told what to do, don't we? We may even consider obedience as something only appropriate for young kids, but for us as adults, we're not easily impressed with the idea of being obedient to anyone. Kind of reminds me of what Terry Virgo once said that we can easily view obedience as something negative. Something of the sort of submission that is nothing more than stifling and oppressive. Well, Mark has reminded me of my guns. I don't know if they're there, but kind of the submission that you see on WWE or WWF wrestling, where you see these really muscled up guys, not me, but these really muscled up guys all sweaty and in their tights grappling. And as they grapple, the dominant one pins the other one in a vice-like grip. And the loser in submission taps out. If you submit, you lose. Brothers and sisters, the kind of submission, the kind of obedience that James is calling us to this morning is profoundly 
different to this. This is as much a command as it is an invitation. Work the gospel truth out in your life in every way. Let the power of the gospel truly and deeply transform your life for it leads to blessing. This is echoed in the scriptures right from the Old Testament. We see Moses as he calls the Israelites to obedience and he says to them in Deuteronomy 6.24, this is for your good always. And we see it in the New Testament. Jesus picks up on this in Matthew 7, 24 to 25, and he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell, when the floods came, and when the winds blew and beat on this house, it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. You could be saying to yourself this morning, I, I hear you, but I am very conscious of my shortcomings. This talk of obedience, frankly, kind of makes me feel inadequate. It feels daunting. I think it's Good to remind ourselves that this call to obedience, this call to gospel doing is not meant to condemn us. Unlike an entrance test, it is not a means to gauge whether you're good enough or not. This is not a means to see whether you qualify or not. In fact, if we dial back to chapter 1 of James in verse 18, it is as if James anticipates this concern and he says, of his own will, he, meaning God, brought us forth by the word of truth. What Paul describes as the gospel of salvation in 1 Ephesians verse 13. So this call to obedience, this call for us to be gospel doers is not just a call for us to see whether this will qualify us to be in the right standing with God. In fact, the gospel of truth or the gospel of salvation does not start with doing. It starts with receiving, receiving salvation in our souls by faith. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not from yourselves. This is the gift of God, not by works, so that anyone may boast. Paul goes on to say in verse 10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ for good works, prepared beforehand by God, so that we may ignore them as extras? No, 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 no. So that we may walk in them. So yes, we come to God as we are. But wherever you come from, brothers and sisters, 
God has a beautiful plan for you and for me, and that plan involves gospel transformation. It involves us becoming more and more like Jesus. Consider Paul's words in 2 Galatians 20 when he says, For now, the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what Paul is saying is that coming to Christian faith is not as much about us choosing God first and loving him first, but then we carry on with our lives as we were before making our own way. But it is about God loving us first and then cause us to live in him, for him. Jesus echoes this in John 15 verse 16 when he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So, beloved of God, this call to obedience, to gospel doing, starts from a position of us being chosen, being completely accepted and loved. But James goes further and says that this word of truth or the gospel salvation that brought us into a new life remains necessary, remains effectual throughout the Christian journey. We are not to set it aside but we are to live it out in our lives as we humbly obey God's word. So James in, in um, verse 2 says to us, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what... It says, I think James points to us the danger of listening and not doing. Jesus, James says to us, there's actually danger in just listening and not doing. The danger is that we can deceive ourselves. We can lie to ourselves we begin to be blinded to the true state of our spiritual walk. And Jesus illustrates this for us in Matthew 7, verse 26 to 27, when he says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when rain fell, when the floods came, when the winds blew and beat on that house, it fell. 
and great was the fall of it. Brothers and sisters, hear what I'm saying, but do not hear what I'm not saying. Yes, when we are born again, we are united in Christ. And there is nothing, there is nothing that can separate us from that union with Christ. But the reality is that unresponsiveness to God's grace, to his word, affects our fellowship with God. It's like in marriage, an unresponsive husband or wife may remain married, but the reality is that there is no flourishing in the marriage when there's no responsiveness and love and kindness and goodness, right? Though there's still legal union, there is no life giving relationship. In contrast, God is calling us to obedience in a way that we can truly find nourishment in our relationship with Him. Where obedience is not burdensome, but is something that is nourishing. As Jesus says in John 4.34, it is my food to do God's will. Instead of Jesus saying, I really, I'm fed when I do God's will. There's a way in which the will of God drives me and feeds me and nourishes me. It is my food. I kind of find interesting uh, the King James Version for some of us meat lovers, it says, it is my meat. So this afternoon, as you tuck into whether it's a roast or some bright flace for Mother's Day, you can remember about obedience. Um, but I think part of our struggle with obedience, with gospel doing has to do with the difficulty or the challenge to separate gospel doing from legalistic or religious doing. Friends, I think albeit innocent, there can be an unhealthy thinking among us as believers that if we have understood grace, we do not need to consider or talk about Christian virtue, about obedience. I find helpful what a pastor, and an influential pastor and author called Kevin DeYoung once said, he says this in a paraphrase, there is a danger for us as believers in our effort to avoid being religious or being legalistic that we end up being suspicious of words like diligence, effort, duty, to the point where we get wary of letting biblical commands 
lead us, yes, at times uncomfortably, to the conviction of sin, to repentance, to faith and faithfulness. This may not be an easy thing to hear, but I agree with him. Friends, as people that are saved by grace through faith, we can pursue obedience and gospel doing by grace as an outwork of our grace. Yes, not perfectly, not without flaws. Yes, not without needing to repent, not without temptations, but wholeheartedly in a way that genuinely pleases and honors God. It is through the obedience of Christ, the perfect obedience of Christ, that God looks at our wholehearted, genuine gospel doing, and it becomes acceptable to him, not because it is perfect, but because it's pleased in the perfect obedience of Christ. I wonder if there is any of you who have ever received a personalized card from either your kids or your grandkids or your niece or your nephew. Maybe even this morning some moms received a personalized Mother's Day card from your kids. I wonder, what was your reaction? Did you complain about the quality of the paper? You know, I love my cards with a glossy finish. Did you complain about the color scheme, the clumsy color scheme, or the imperfect shaping of the letters? Or was your heart melted? Here with me this morning, I've got something that I got from my son Ezra, who is almost three years old. I'm not sure if you can all see it. Would you buy this? <laughs> Let's start a thousand rand going. Friends, I had this in my home office for almost a year and was proudly part of my Zoom background. <laughs> How much more our Heavenly Father that Zephaniah describes in Zephaniah 3 verse 17 When he says that he is not only mighty to save, but he shows great delight in you. He quietens you with his love. And Zephaniah goes on to say that he rejoices over you with singing. This is our God, friends who loves us. Maybe this morning, I don't know how your heart is. Maybe this morning, God, God wants you to know 
that he rejoices over you with singing. The God who made the heavens and the earth shows great delight in you. You're precious in his sight. Psalm 51, verse 17. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. Yes, there is no righteousness of our own that makes us right with God. Other than the righteousness of Christ, Christ in me, the hope of glory. But our wholehearted and genuine obedience is not just filthy rags in God's sight. It is sweet and pleasing to Him. So in verses 23 to 24 of our main text, James gives this fascinating and brilliant illustration of what mere listening looks like. And he says, if anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I think it's important for us this morning to appreciate that the mirrors in the ancient world were not like our mirrors that we have in our homes today. They were largely made of copper and bronze that they would shine. But no matter how much shining they did, the image or the reflection of those mirrors was still dim and blurry. It's almost like the difference between watching your favorite series or a game of football or rugby on a black and white TV. I don't know if you remember that. You know, those small black and white TVs with a picture that is showery, that sort of jerks and jumps and you have to be ready to give it a smack to just keep the picture stable. And you compare that to watching on a high-definition TV where you can actually sit back and relax. So if you are looking at yourself in a mirror in the ancient world, you really needed to lean in and look carefully. But James says that even with looking so intently, one can actually forget. What is James really getting it here. I think this is not so much about a poor memory itself, like some of us who easily misplace our house or car keys. I think James is talking about something more fundamental. He is addressing our priorities. Think of a friend or a date who goes to 
the bathroom at a restaurant and they look in the mirror at their face and they see this mess of barbecue sauce from the ribs that they've just tucked in. And they look at this mess and they come right back to the table without wiping it. I do not necessarily think that it's because they have a memory of a goldfish, but it's more like it doesn't really matter to them. It's not a priority to wipe their face. They've got other important things to worry about. I think this message of James is so relevant for us today. We live in a world where we have so much content and information that with this content and information overload, our brains are now conditioned to consume and filter that the gospel can easily become another piece of information and not the life-transforming message that it is meant to be. Just hear this. A few years ago, I came across a survey on Netflix. For your ease, I must just say, I'm a Netflix subscriber. And this survey titled 2017, a year in binging, as in the same binging as overdoing it, except this time it's not alcohol or chocolate, it's entertainment. And it said that in 2017, Netflix subscribers across the world watched 140 million hours of entertainment per day. That's a little over a billion hours of entertainment a week, if you're wondering. This is just Netflix. Never mind that it is said that on average, teenagers spend nine hours a day on social media. That's longer than most of us spend working or sleeping or even in school. I hope as you're listening to me, you're not seeing this perpetual party pooper who is uh, constantly suspicious of entertainment or the internet or social media. But, friends, we need to save God against this. Let us not let the gospel become another piece of information that floats around our heads. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is meant to grab our hearts and truly and deeply transform our lives as we live by it and obey it and apply it to our own lives. As I conclude, James further clarifies what he is fighting for. For us, in verse 25, he says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've read, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. So I think if there's anything to remember from my message this morning is this. So firstly, we are called to look intently 
into this gospel or this perfect law that gives freedom. And as we listen to it, we are to pursue obedience in liberty and in freedom. In freedom from obedience being the grounds for our right standing with God, but in freedom as the grounds for our obedience. So I do not obey to be made right with God, but because I have been made right with God by God, who is infinitely wise and loving, I obey. Secondly, we pursue obedience in the word of truth or this perfect law that gives freedom or what Paul refers to it in Romans 8, 2 when he says, it is the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. So my obedience, my gospel doing is guided and enabled by the life and the word and the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. So this perfect law that gives freedom, this law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ is not another list of behaviors. It is the lamp unto my feet that leads me into a new treasure and a new master who himself was obedient even to the point of death and death on the cross so that you and I can have life and life abundantly. I just want to ask the band to come forward. So John Piper profoundly put it this way. He says, Our obedience is God's pleasure when it proves that God is our treasure. This is good news because it means very simply that the command to obey is the command to be happy in God. Amen. Can I please ask us to stand and as we stand I want to invite you to close your eyes and I will read Psalm 119 verse 32 to 37 I want to invite you to listen to this as a prayer I run in the path of your commands for you have broadened my understanding Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees that I may follow it 
to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Maybe you are here this morning. You've heard the gospel, but you have never experienced this life that Jesus came to give us. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just where you are, I'd invite you to open your heart and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And as we now sing this song, I want to invite you, if you've heard the, me- the message of the gospel and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to sing the song with faith, faith that says, Jesus, I want this abundant life. I want it today. I want it every day as I surrender to you daily. Be my Lord and King every single day.